Let us pray. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The New Testament reading this morning is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, and may be found on page 954 of your pew Bible. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm. It's been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. And he said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. So our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from the prophet Jeremiah, from the 32nd chapter, and we'll start reading at the very beginning of that chapter, verses 1 through 3, kind of drop off halfway through 3, and then go forward to 6 and read through 15, and hopefully that text will hold together, and you will hear the story of this prophet, the words of this prophet that remain important for us today. The word that came to Jeremiah... From the Lord in the tenth year of King Zedekiah of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadrezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Zedekiah had said, Why do you prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, I'm going to give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. 
Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is coming to come to you and say, buy my field that is at Anatoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. And then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that is at Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. And then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. And I bought the field at Anatoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Maseah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was practicing law in Wilmington years ago, uh, many of the transactions that I was involved in, I was doing real estate law, and many of those transactions um, deal, dealt with waterfront property. Probably not a surprise to you. Same would be true around here. And in the course of that work, I became aware of some landowners who seemed to be doing something a little crazy. They were paying taxes on property that was underwater, literally underwater. It hadn't always been underwater. At one time, it was coveted beachfront property, and there might have been a family home on it once, and it might be that that family home would have been in the family for generations, but over the years, the ocean had crept in and crept in, sometimes incrementally and slowly, sometimes violently and quickly, but always with a power that would not and could not be resisted with artificial dunes or jetties or sandbags. These lots, as things stand even today, are basically useless. But many families still pay the tax bill every year, and the state happily accepts the tax bill every year. But they, these families are investing in this land that they cannot reach, They can't touch it, they can't use it, they can't even really see it from the shoreline. And it's not unlike this symbolic action of the prophet Jeremiah, who decides to invest in property that is underwater. Not in a literal sense, although perhaps in a littoral sense. Are there any English majors in here? (laughs) Nobody gets that. I just wanted to say it so badly. Y'all got to go look it up. L-I-T-T-O-R-A-L, of or pertaining to shorelines. See, it's wordplay. But anyway, <laughs> not in a literal sense, it wasn't underwater. But in a military sense, it was, it was underwater. 
Um, because Anatoth, the prophet's hometown, was only about three miles from Jerusalem. And many of you traveled farther than that today to get here to church. And it, the city, the town, it wasn't a city, it was just a little town or village, it lay to the northeast of the old walled city of Jerusalem. And that meant when the Babylonian army came sweeping in from the east, when that Babylonian tide rolled on into Jerusalem, it washed right over and inundated Anatoth. They had already carted away, the Babylonians had already carted away the first wave of exiles, which tended to be the the leaders of of Jerusalem. And the invading tide had receded for a moment, but then come back. And it was clear to everyone that the Babylonians were really not going anywhere. So Jeremiah's cousin Hanamel figured, had to have figured, that this was his last chance to cash out. He would not get much for the old family home place. He knew that, but he knew that something was better than nothing. There were, however, some legal hurdles that he needed to cross. Before he sold that land out of his family, Jewish covenant law held that land owned by the people of Israel was subject to a familial right of redemption. If any one of your kin falls into difficulty and sells a piece of property, the law said, then the next of kin shall come and redeem what the relative has sold. The family's land should stay in the family, the law said, if a member of the family still wanted it. And we still today believe in certain rights of redemption. If, for example, you bought a house with a mortgage and you might have lost that house to foreclosure on the courthouse steps, many states give you a brief window of time to, quote, redeem that property. If you can pull it together, if you can scrounge some money and pay the bank back for its losses, you can, under certain circumstances, get back what has been lost. It can be redeemed. And this helps us see why redemption is also a beloved spiritual and theological concept, especially for those of us who have been lost but long to be found. We long to be reclaimed. We long to feel at home again, even when it has been taken from us. So back to cousin Hanamel. He had found a sucker, I mean a buyer, (laughs) to purchase this land for 17 shekels of silver. But before he could finalize that transaction, before he could uh, get his money, he had to offer it to his kinfolk who had this biblical right of redemption and reclamation. And Hanamel must have figured just a formality to do, though, to do so. Who among his kinfolk would possibly want this property that has already been swamped by the Babylonians and was, they had left once, but they were back and they were staying forever? Who would buy this land that is buried by a hostile power? And who among his kinfolk would be more unlikely to buy it than the prophet who had been preaching gloom and doom longer than anyone else? When all the other prophets were assuring King Zedekiah, oh, you don't have anything to worry about Babylon. Jeremiah was the lone voice claiming that the defeat and conquest of Israel was not only inevitable, but imminent. 
And he had endured intense ridicule and abuse for saying these things that nobody wanted to hear. He was sitting in prison even as his cousin came to him because of those things that he said. But when Babylon did sweep into Babylon for the first time, probably in about 597 BCE, the long-suffering Jeremiah was vindicated in a sense. He was proven right. So why, in this moment of all moments, would he contradict that long-standing prophecy for which we, he had been abused and in which he had just been proven right? Why would he suddenly reverse course and take an action that went contrary to that prophecy? And I think this is what makes Jeremiah's action so miraculous. Right about the time that Jeremiah's prophecy was being proven right, he dramatically reverses tack, and he makes a strong pivot toward hope. He begins to promise that God will remain with the people, even in their pain and even in their suffering, that their fortunes, which look so bad in the moment, in that day, that those fortunes would be restored in days to come, that God would break the yoke from their necks, that God would burst the bonds that held them, that God would raise them up from their pain and their suffering and restore them again. And to symbolize this hope, this assurance that God has not abandoned the people, that victory will come in due time, he buys his cousin's field in Anatoth, saying that that land, that family, that people, that hope, all of that would be redeemed. And just to make the point even stronger, he goes the full 10 yards to make sure his purchase will stick. As a former real estate lawyer, I can tell you that Jeremiah had very good representation. Whoever it was knew how to do a real estate deal and told us about it in ways that endure centuries later. He did everything right. He signed and sealed two deeds. Listen to how modern this sounds. He signed and sealed two copies, an official copy to be sealed and an open copy to be read. He executed those documents in the presence of witnesses and signatories who could testify to the validity of the deal and that the exchange was done properly. For good measure, he made sure that a full crowd of the people in the prison, by the way, the Judeans all around him, hey, prisoners, y'all come watch this too. Y'all will be secondary witnesses. And then he gave public instructions to one person, Baruch, and said that both that official seal deed and that official copy should be taken and placed and sealed tight in an earthenware jar that could preserve the documents from moisture and decay for as long as it might take. So that when the time came, when that jar could be opened, the redemption could be complete, the redemption would be intact, and that all would see that what God had promised had come true, that houses and fields and vineyards would indeed again be bought and sold in that land, and that God's promises are enduring and sure. There are two things we can take away from Jeremiah's symbolic action from the 6th century BCE that I think still have a very direct impact on our spiritual lives right here and right now. And the first is to recognize that just as Jerusalem, just excuse me, just as Jeremiah invested himself 
in what seemed like a lost cause, God has done the same thing with you and with me. God knows how broken we are. God knows how sin continues to keep us apart, to keep us from trusting one another and loving one another. God knows how we fail, even when we try, even when we have the best of intentions. When it comes to sin, we seem to be underwater. It swamps us. It threatens to drown us. And even so, God refuses to abandon us. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul says to his readers, to the people of the church, you are God's field. The prophet is... Uh, The prophet Isaiah, I think this is what Paul was thinking of. The prophet Isaiah arguably went even further, saying that we are the vineyard of the Lord. We are God's pleasant planting. We are God's field, despite our many flaws. And even despite those flaws, God is willing to take a chance on us, to invest the fullness of God's hope in us, to bet the farm on us. If you came here to get some gospel, you just heard it. Because that is the essence of the good news. But the second takeaway from Jeremiah's purchase of the field at Anatoth comes back to us and what's expected of us. We as believers in this God who chooses us as disciples of the Christ who gave everything for us, we are called to invest ourselves in this hope of this gospel and this good news. Looking around the world today, it is easy to get discouraged. People are divided in so many ways, politically, economically, socially, racially, scientifically, and certainly religiously and spiritually. Institutions and values that we have all depended upon in the past seem to be under assault, and that includes the church. As we look at numbers, how many people are showing up for worship? How many people are investing in study? How many people are investing themselves in mission? how many people are giving to the church and how much they are giving to the church. It's easy to get discouraged in the church or even to think that the church may be sinking or drowning or being taken over by an invasion of the world. But I am here to tell you, do not believe it. The church is not dying. The church is merely changing. The church cannot die and will not die because the church is God's field. The church is God's pleasant planting. The church is the Garden of Eden that, boy, does it need some pruning. But it's a garden that will always live. I hear people worry out loud about who is not here. 
about the numbers that used to fill this room on a Sunday morning. And I understand that grief. I really do. But when I look around this church, I will tell you what I see. I see children coming to church to sing, to learn, to be with us in worship, to be baptized, to be with one another. I see older adults sitting at tables with them, filled and inspired by the blessings of their energy and their joy. I see people committing themselves to missions at home and abroad, and I hear the passion and the joy in the stories that they tell, stories that bring tears to their eyes. I see people giving generously to the church and joyfully, expectantly encouraging others to do the same. I hear pastors and educators and musicians saying that they feel a new energy, a new positivity, and I hear people saying that they are beginning to see faces in these pews that they have not seen in a long time. This church is alive. And so are churches all across the world. The church of Jesus Christ is so much bigger than us. And it will live because it belongs not to us, but to God. The prophet Jeremiah bought a field. And people thought he was crazy. But he did not see floodwaters. He saw hope. He saw promise. He saw God at work, and we have to do the same. So pivot to hope. Invest in the church. Invest in its people. Buy the field. And watch to see what miracles that God can bring. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.